Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, and we're here for this week's Friday Morning GM with co-host Vas Laricos. Vas, how you doing? I'm doing okay, Ken. Still trying to get over this Ravens loss in the AFC Championship game. Not too excited for this upcoming Super Bowl, to be honest with you. Not as much as usual, uh, but the beat goes on. And uh, I'm starting to get a little bit more excited and intrigued by how this offseason is going to play out for the Ravens. Going to be, a, I mean, it always is. The offseason is always critical. You need to do well every year. But this is one where the Ravens are going to have a lot of turnover, and it's something they're going to have to manage very carefully in terms of cap, in terms of draft capital. We're going to get to a lot of that. Ultimately, the master is the cap. You know, that is the the ultimate master. So if you want to be someone whose opinion is respected in terms of uh, how the Raven, what the Ravens should do this offseason, you must start with that. Okay, you have to bring that to the table. I don't want to hear we need to go after X receiver or X running back or this defensive lineman or this edge rusher because we got to have him and he would add so much. I mean, look, that's a part of the call, but honestly, the cap considerations of it are are much bigger. A hundred percent. I believe the cap underpins the entire conversation, the entire decision-making process. And the Ravens are in a little bit of a different situation than they have been after borrowing a little bit over $30 million between not likely to be earned incentives and void years um, that they're going to have to repay at some point. Are they going to repay? How much are they going to repay this upcoming season? And how much are they going to push off onto even further into the future? Um, that is really 
an interesting decision for me because DaCosta and Ozzy for the last decade have really tried to prevent this type of situation from happening, and it did. And now how do they uh, decide to proceed? A lot of teams coming out of the COVID years where the cap did not grow at the pace expected and all teams were borrowing against the cap basically during that COVID period. Uh, Being a successful team during that means they're in a worse cap position. Teams like the Browns and other teams, they actually came in and the Browns shot them in the foot with shot themselves in the foot with Deshaun Watson. But they but the Browns coming out of the COVID years were in pretty good shape uh, going into that. And and, uh, a lot of the lesser teams in the league were. The, the real miracle team is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to get away with Baker Mayfield at quarterback on the kind of salary that he did. They brought in a, a, a basically a cheap bargain option and it worked out. You can't, you, there's not much more you can do for your franchise than, than having that happen. Yeah, I think it was about $6 million and they got playoff caliber play from him. Um, it worked out for them, worked out for the Rams. You know, I think the Rams retooled pretty quickly um, to uh, to have a pretty good season. The place I don't want to be is where the Saints are, where you're playing with a short deck for an extended period of time, just trying to get into the playoffs or get into the mix and see if you get lucky with no real chance or a very slim chance of actually advancing in the playoffs. Um, So I know we differ a little bit on strategy, uh, but regardless, it it is a decision that's going to have to come from the top and, and will impact every other decision they make. Uh, well, let's talk about the, the Ravens' biggest move this offseason. The single biggest offseason piece is how they handle the Justin Matabike situation. Uh, he's the, the reason that's true is he's the one player who would be franchised and has a value north of what that franchise tag is worth. That's a very important point because it's, it's tough to lose um, Patrick Queen, but if they paid Patrick Queen the franchise tag, they'd, they'd regret it. Already, in terms of even a single year, um, and there wouldn't be a taker, I don't think, to bring Patrick Queen off that. That they could significantly get significantly more anyway than a third round pick in 2024, which is now kind of the, 2025. Sorry, which is the cap on the compensatory pick they'll get for Queen. Yes, very good point. So approximately twenty million dollar uh, cap hit for the tag for Matabike on the tag, and his market value, according to Spielberger, is twenty three million. So there is a savings there. Um, the last time the Ravens used a tag, I believe, was Matthew Judon, who had actually played out the season on the tag and then walked. And I think he actually got paid a little bit less than the tag amount that year, but uh, but that was unusual sort of uh, market forces driving his price down. I think. No, they used it, of course, on Lamar last year, but but he didn't oh, play sure. on the tag, and that and that is an important thing that, that, that you know the difference between the, the Ravens don't want Justin Matabike to play on the tag because it will really hamstring him. In fact, they really don't want him on the tag at all if they can avoid it. So if they can if they can sign him before the tag date comes, that's the optimal situation. And I'm sure those discussions are going on right now. Uh, or have already begun. Let me put it that way. They're not talking right this minute necessarily. But anyway, the uh, uh, the other thing about this is if they do have to tag him, then he becomes at that moment because you have to be under the cap at at all moments throughout the year. He, they have to readjust money in order to make him fit, and it also delays them from making any any other moves until he's signed. And Matt Abike's, um agent may use that as leverage against the Ravens in trying to make something happen. So the Ravens will be highly incented to process him off that tag quickly or trade him, which is yet another possibility. Yes. Um, personally, 
And there's been a lot of discourse on on whether the Ravens should, they must, they have to keep Matabike no matter what. That seems to be a common sentiment among the fan base. You know, it's really hard to quantify his value because he is an elite finisher as far as getting the quarterback on the ground, but he's not an elite, you know, first pressure generator necessarily. So what is that worth and how would that be impacted if you don't have a Jadavian Clowney in the backfield pushing quarterbacks into Matabike's range all the time? Um, He could have a precipitous drop off in production next year if there isn't that edge pressure. So I probably am in the camp at this point of the tag and the trade of Matabike. Uh, you have a certain limit to how many cornerstone players you can have on your team at the same time. And they have some other players coming up in the pipeline, such as Kyle Hamilton, um, that are going to – and potentially Adafi Owe and several others that are going to need to be paid. It's tough to find a penetrating uh, three technique. There are not as many defensive quality D linemen coming out of the draft in recent years. But I personally think that $23 million is too rich for Matabike's uh, impact on the game. Well, I'm, I'm with you on that. And I think the, you know, tagging and trading makes a lot of sense. Uh, if the Ravens are going to make a big move in terms of draft capital, it's the only way. Um, it's very hard to say exactly where Matabike fits in terms of the incremental draft value. But the Ravens will have a good handle on that by the time they put the tag on him. I think at the very minimum... Okay, let's let's put this in in some game theory terms here. They they would not want to take the risk if all if the only return was maybe a third round pick for trading him. And I th- I think it is higher than that. I think they'll get more than that even with him tagged because other teams and we saw you know the Bears basically do that this year acquiring Montez Sweat so they could sign him long term because the Bears don't have any success in the offseason signing players when they have other options. So they have a hard right. time signing guys at the top of the market. There are other franchises as bankrupt as the Bears are that Matabike could end up going to that have money. And so it's, you know, I don't know where the Carolina Panthers are right now in terms of money, but that's the kind of organization. It would be a what we would have called a second division team uh, in the ancient days of eight team baseball leagues, where you, where you, you know, if you're the fourth, the, the teams in the fifth through seventh, fifth through eighth place are always getting a lot of retread talent from from the better teams. I, you know, I, I, a situation like that is is possible, obviously, for Matabike. And, you know, that's the team who's going to give him the money he wants, and he has a chance to be on the developmental up uptick of a, of a team there. But um, I don't think the Ravens will take the risk if the return were only the third. It's not enough to improve from a third and 25 to a third and 24, even though it would be very valuable for the team, to take the risk of him ending up playing on the tag because you can't work out a deal. Sure. And tying up that money and just another piece to add on to that with the void year structures, if they do opt to bring back any of the players that have void years, they need to make that decision soon in the next two weeks, I believe, according to Brian McFarland, to reap the benefits of deferring that void money throughout. So you you don't want to be cash strapped uh, throughout the entirety of free agency, especially if you have to make all these moves because then when that you know value signing comes along you don't have the money to make that happen so uh it's it is it is a tough spot to be in i do think that you could probably net a second round pick um and if you can net a 2024 second round pick as opposed to a 2025 third round compensatory pick that is worth tying the money up for a period of time 
Yeah, and I would agree. I think that's my price tag too. I don't think it's impossible. There's a team out there that would would trade a low first for Matabike. I just don't know who that is because the low first picks are on teams that, generally speaking, have spent their cap to to get into the playoffs already. I don't know. I I don't know what team it would be that might fit into that category. Yeah, I don't either. I haven't I haven't studied the cap two are the teams that have so much space or how much space um there's a few teams with a ton of space i know that but not a whole lot i think you probably try to get into the top half of the second round where sometimes you get those first round picks talents that f- fall yeah. and that's also where the teams that have the money usually reside yeah yeah uh good good possibility doing that also i think a good possibility that the ravens um this year and, and we didn't we didn't include draft capital in our list of things but but Trading down into the second round is definitely a possibility. The, the value of the fifth-year option at the end of the first round is, generally speaking, lower. And I say that after the Ravens you know, reap the benefits of Lamar Jackson and the fifth-year option on him. But you don't typically get an a, a impact player of that type, and or, you know, much less a quarterback at the end of the first round. So it's, it's, it's much less likely and you're forced into more difficult fifth year options, which we can just hit on here real quickly. Like the Ravens have with both Owe and Bateman coming up. Now you had the numbers for that. Those two. Yes. 12.2 million for Odafe away and 13.8 million for Rashad Bateman. So just on that point, quarterbacks, definitely fifth year option is a, you know, a beneficial not some other positions is I don't really think it is. Uh, right. You know, you're you're paying a lot of money for just a one year option with no value, no no option to defer the cost or anything. Yeah, in particular, if you're getting a guard or a center towards the end of the first round, the fifth year option is is garbage because it's because it's um, graded in with the other offensive linemen, and so you're t- you're you're paying tackle money for a, for a guard or a center, and so the the, the Ravens that, that'll come up with Tyler Linderbaum. They're going to need to re-sign him long term earlier than you might expect which is another cornerstone player if you if you want to do that um who who then has to be uh you don't you don't really have the value of the fifth year option to look forward to and because he made the pro bowl also he will receive a a bump so uh so those aren't um low numbers by any means i mean they would rank among the top handful of contracts on the team as for as far as annual uh, salary per year I am in favor of Odafe Owe. Um, I think he's on the upward trend. He's on the upward trajectory. I don't know what it is about the Ravens flock, but they seem to really undervalue or dislike a lot of their edge rushers through the years. I don't know if they're comparing everyone to Terrell Suggs, and if you're not Terrell Suggs, you're not worth anything or what. But to Darius Smith, Judon, Owe, a lot of the guys. Um, Bowser. There's not as many – Bowser, yeah. There's not as many quality – edge rushers as there are receivers receivers seem plethora um there's a plethora of them every cycle it seems uh he, he, you know both that struggle with injuries i think bateman although i do think a second wide receiver top caliber wide receiver is vital i don't think he's earned that and i don't think he's earned 13.8 quite yet yeah i i don't and and obviously they have to make the decision now and uh, bateman is coming off a, a really bad step back year in some ways i was looking at the metrics you know, preparing to do the wide receiver review show and Bateman, you know, as it's great separation metrics I've been seeing all year, which lend credence to the notion that Lamar is just not looking his way, but the next gen stats did not show separation for him. 
Uh, he's, he's, he's maybe in the 30th percentile of separation. In terms of yards per target, he was not good. In terms of passer rating throwing to him, he was terrible this year uh, with yeah. three picks going his way. So it's Bateman is at a crossroads season. And I, I think the, one of the big things they're going to have to do is figure out how he um, uh, gets more practice time with Lamar during the offseason. And some guys, you know, it, it, you know, you meet a whole bunch of people in the same walk of life and some of them it's natural for you to hang out with and, and that thing you have things in common with and, you know, you, you enjoy some similar activities that are outside of football. And and it may be that Bateman and Lamar just don't have that obvious connection or or it's, you know, Bateman doesn't make time in the offseason for it, whatever it may be. But he's hurt. I think the problem is he's been hurt in the offseason yeah. more than anything. That could be. That could be. And and if it, if that's all it is, then this offseason should be a good one for him working with Lamar and we saw it really paid dividends for both Beckham and flowers in a big way this off season. So uh, this is a great time to spend some freaking time in Lamar's guest house, <laughs> wherever that is. And, and, uh, uh, and enjoy, uh, you know, some time playing together during the off season. Uh, okay. But we, 50 year options we were talking about. So I'm a, I'm a no also on Bateman and I'm a yes, absolutely resoundingly on Oway. And I think Oway is a guy they want to try and sign long-term as well. He would be a cornerstone choice for me. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they get that done because I think his actual cornerstone contract number might be about that, or maybe even a little bit less if they're talking about how much he can make per year and I think, you know, prior to the fifth year, you still have some of that divisible benefit on the table. Once he plays the fifth year, then he knows he's got free agency looming quickly and he, he won't, uh, you know, have the concerns about injury. Obviously, once the season is over, all that divisible benefit goes away. So uh, now would be the time to I'm sorry. Now, after it, it could be after year four could be the time to make the make the deal. That's when I would do it because I do think he still has a little bit to prove as far as just being able to handle a larger uh, snap share, staying healthy, and still producing at the same time. He's done all three, but not necessarily uh, congruently. So uh, I would say let's play out this next year, see where he is, and then get him on a long-term deal hypothetically uh, a little bit below market value because uh, you know he has that divisible benefit, as you said. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll uh, hopefully look forward to that one. I do hope he's part of the the long term plan there. Um, you know, the next big position is probably the Ravens' biggest draft concern, which is at left tackle. Um, I, I, you know, the Ronnie Stanley situation right now. He played well enough in the last few games. I thought he played reasonably well in the postseason game. Uh, postseason games, and I thought he played well at the very end of the season as well. That I kind of switched sides of the fence. Actually, switched from being right on the fence to I now think he's a keeper for the $8 million savings you could have in 24. Where are you on that? I think he needs to take a haircut. that He can earn back through playing time, but uh, his number's too high. He hasn't played. He hasn't been reliable enough, um, and he did play better, but still not anywhere near that kind of cap hit down the stretch. Um, I think either way, left tackle is at the very top of the – a draft board draft needs yeah. and i hope in an ideal world you can have ronnie come back with a pay cut that he can earn back if based on playing time and have that first round left tackle waiting in the wings to either take over if ronnie is ineffective or after one year of seasoning become the full-time starter so there's a lot of companies out there and i'll give you a corporate example of why going to ronnie and asking him to take a haircut might 
be very counterproductive. There's a lot of companies out there. Um, I had the situation arrive with an audio visual company that had done a very bad install at my house. They completely messed it up and took forever and they, and they, and they did some things. And, and, you know, my reaction through some very frustrating discussions was to threaten legal action. And as soon as they did that, they, they won't talk to me anymore. They're like, you need to talk Mm -hmm. to our legal department because that's our policy kind of thing. And unfortunately, I, I think that is part of what may happen with Ronnie Stanley. If you go and ask him for, to take a haircut, He's like, well, you know, you guys have the right to release me and you'll get eight point three million back against the cap. I can get my new start somewhere else and, and we can part ways on a mutual basis. And it, it, he, he doesn't have to play it hard acrimonious. He can play it soft acrimonious and and just say no way on a on a on a pay cut um, with incentives. And unless there was something, you know, maybe there's something else he can gain from that. That you know, the Ravens gain from maybe restructuring the contract to include some void years, say, pushing even more money out, and and Stanley gains in terms of he can earn more than what he loses with reasonable you know incentive. There could be something like that could work out, but it's also as soon as you kind of threaten it, you got to be ready for him to not play for this team in 2024, ready to make that decision. As part of the things. And, you know, with the 30th pick overall, I don't think they're going to get an immediate ready solution at left tackle. Agreed. It's it's tough. You know, even top 15 to left tackle sometimes take a year. Um, there has been some conversation about that from other sources. I think Michael Lombardi, who's a former general manager at National, was on uh, one of the radio shows talking about that he thinks that Ronnie's a prime pay cut candidate. Um We'll see. We're going to see. I think DaCosta didn't, you know, kept his cards close to the vest as far as that at the end of the season press conference. It's a big cap hit. You know, they took that chance with Ronnie where they guaranteed more than traditional to have him signed for a little bit less. And obviously, three days later, he has that catastrophic injury. And here we are. So um, I hope they do kind of. opt against those type of deals, contract structures in the future. Obviously you can't do with a quarterback, but other positions just because you don't want to be in this spot where you're kind of stuck in the middle of a, a no win situation. I, I, I do want to throw this in for my own offensive line grading, which differs from PFF because I have a higher weighting on the penalties. Okay. Ronnie Stanley for the whole season had a um, raw score of 0.63 with adjustments that would still put him in pretty much the high D range or the, even the mid D range for the season. It was not a good year by any cut. And and it, to to put that 0.63 relative to other tackle play, Moses was at 0.77, which would put him in the middle of the B range. And McCary was at 0.70, which was substantially better than Stanley. So this there's no way I can look at this and and make it be a good year. Even, even Daniel Fa'alele, who just came around at the end of the year after basically being an F-level player for a year and a half for the Ravens, was at .62, just .01 behind Stanley for the year. Hmm. That should scare the hell out of you, you know, in terms of of, uh, uh, where he is. So I I do think his play at the end of the season means he's a good chance to take. I think that basically the the way he looked on the field in terms of being more mobile – um, you know, g- attacking the the pass rushers outside of the pocket more, uh, I thought was very good. He wasn't just trying to die slowly, play after play after play. I, I think there were there were a lot of good things we saw at the end of the year from Ronnie Stanley, and, and it's got me on the side of, of do it. And I would just absolutely love it if somehow he plays the season of his life next year, the Ravens figure out a way to extend him, 
and it, and it goes on to make the Ravens ring of honor as seemed like it was a sure thing to happen when he signed this second deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's, it's, I won't say it'll take a miracle, but I think it's, it would be about a, I'm going to call it about a 90th percentile result. If he were to play well enough to get extended in 2024, where are you on that? I'd agree. He just had so much trouble staying healthy. You know, it's just when you can't, when you have trouble anchoring, it just leads into getting in, getting your knees rolled up on, getting your ankles rolled up on, and then it just becomes a vicious cycle of injury after injury, and uh, and then you can't anchor because your knee hurts, and so then you get your ankle rolled up on. It's really a matter of health and, and play. I think he did some, you know, changes, made some changes to his technique so that he could anchor as far as maybe shifting his weight a little bit differently towards the end of the mm-hmm. season, learning how to compensate for that some of these injuries. Um, it's just unfortunate that it, it's gone that way. Um, and then, you know, you also have questions on the right side, too. I think two, and then both guards are uh, unrestricted. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Linderbaum's the, Linderbaum's the mainstay, and, and you have kind of four questions elsewhere. Uh, you don't want to add to it, but I just – it's really hard to say, okay, let's pay $24 million cap hit to a, to a left tackle who had a D uh, grade uh, this season. So I, I, just from my own perspective, I, I don't look at that as a $24 million cap hit because most of that money has already been spent. Right. Okay. So they got 16 million in prorated crapola that they can't get rid of, but they have 8 million that they can, they can actually save against that cap by cutting them. So the question really is, can you get a one year solution at left tackle for 8 million that would be as good as Ronnie Stanley? I I think, you know, on balance, I think the answer is probably no as of right now. Yeah. Most likely. I mean, offensive line scarcity is, is tremendous throughout the league and it is, Unfortunately, I believe, and on the right note on this topic, one of the better offensive line, especially offensive tackle draft crops coming out in recent memory by the early uh, analysis. And some good coaching on this team on the offensive line, which I think has helped them to consistently have players who are above the replacement level, even as their backups. So, you know, when they've had McCary as a left tackle backup, he's not the guy you want to go through a whole season with. You, you, you don't want to face that down the barrel of that, but he's a hell of a backup in terms of, mm-hmm. of um, you know, being a, a decent guy. Falele seems like he might be becoming that on the right side. Uh, I don't trust him to play left tackle. Um, and then we, we, you know, Moses having the big year is just a godsend in terms of it's not a question at all whether he'll be back in 24, not to me anyway. Right. Um, but they but they have a, probably a two-year solution they need at each of the two positions. They're going to need to draft a right tackle, a, a, a tackle each year, but a, a guy who can play left tackle certifiably in this first year, and then a guy who can replace Moses next year unless they get to a point where they want to extend him. Moses? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I I like the idea of Moses and Falele on the right side. You, you know, this is the third year of, of Moses' three-year contract. I thought most thought it was probably going to be a two-year deal when he signed it. He exceeded mm-hmm. expectations that has earned that third year. Um, Falele also was meant to be a developmental player. Um, and now it, with, now he has a third year where he can maybe do some more of that platoon rotation system. And then he's ready next year for 2025 to be the starting right tackle. Um that would probably be the perfect situation as far as balancing 
uh, ability, production, development, and cost all at the same time. Right. I, I would agree. If Falele could take a step forward, it would be a huge cost savings, and no doubt about that. Uh, let's move to guard, uh, where Kevin Zeitler, obviously a big issue. Uh, coming off a contract, he wanted an extension. I think he's the kind of player, I think the Ravens would probably have wanted to do it before the season started. But they just did could not find a way to make the money work out. Um, and, and some of it's for Zeitler, some of it's for him. And some of it's also the desire not to get left holding the old maid at the end of somebody's career. Um, and in particular, an, off, an older offensive lineman who typically end up with these, you know, multiple two year for one deals. Mason had that. Reed had it for a while. I mean, it's it, Yanda had it. They're, they're good players, you know, all of them. But you end up holding holding the bag on a year, and you kind of always know you're going to end up holding the bag on a year. It's 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 like the the last loan you make to somebody who's not really credit worthy is always going to be a bad loan. Yeah, well, it's almost like a void year in a way. Uh, so Spielberger projects Zeitler to make fifteen million over wow. two to so seven seven okay. and a half a year. Um, I actually, and the other thing is he started slow this last year. Yes. Um, but the more I think about how are the Ravens going to get over the the postseason hump, I think a, as strong as an O line as you can possibly build is is really one of the big keys. So I know he's getting older. I know it's probably a little bit more or almost the same as he made on this last deal. But I think he made six and a half in the last deal. So usually it goes in reverse where you're making less as you get older, uh, six and a half per year. Um, I I actually think I would be in favor of re-signing Zeitler for, for that price personally. It's a big commitment of cap if they do it. I'm not saying it was it was twenty two point five million for three years. So seven point five million. So this would be basically the same okay. number over a two year deal. And it, and I guess it, it's a lot of it comes down to if you're sure you were getting two years for fifteen million, you can count me in on that. I'm I'm just right. I'm I'm eighty two percent sure I'm getting two years, and I think yeah mm-hmm. less than that seventy five percent sure I'm getting two years because at his age and it's, it won't be Zeitler necessarily running out on the deal it, it'll be him retiring because the injuries start to pile up and they get to be worse and worse. Or we suddenly see a precipitous play decline, which is much more likely at at his age. Even though you know he's been a guy who's who certainly maintained a very consistent level of play throughout his career. Right. So one of the reasons why I think that's a fair price, even at his age, is because Spielberger's projects projecting uh, five million a year for Simpson on a two year deal. So two huh. for ten. So to me, if you're comparing Simpson for five versus Weitler for seven and a half, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. Easy choice. Easy choice. And and I, I don't know where his basic numbers come from. If they come from PFF, they come from somewhere else. If they come from PFF, they're undercharging for Simpson's penalties. And and that's the heart and soul. If you can live with Simpson's penalties, you can pay a lot for him because he's he's not that bad a lineman at all. He's a, you know he's a good backup lineman. Uh, he he's an you know okay starter probably. Even with, sorry, um, without the penalties. But then when you look at what the penalties are, they're all post snap fouls. They're you know which have those higher option value costs. They're holding flags, couple occasional false starts, and those are the good ones. You know, but but you know, it's it's just it's I I think there's a possibility they could bring Simpson back, but I think it's basically he'll be competing for a job instead of going somewhere. And I I really don't know what the market is for him. I I'm you know he certainly he replicated all of the failure 
from Las Vegas in his year in Baltimore. In fact, I, I don't know if you saw this, but he had one one penalty every 95.5 snaps in Las Vegas and one penalty every 95.4 snaps with the Ravens. <laughs> Incredibly consistent. Incredible. What a, yeah, what a consistent <laughs> number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, go ahead. I'm sorry. But the, let's talk about the other options. Is is where I wanted to go with it. So, uh, you know, if if you know, put table the two years for 15 million for Zeitler for a second, mm-hmm. you've got Voris who's been around the building for a year. And I, they must know more about him right now in terms of where he is in strength and work ethic and, and in the position room and whatnot, how he's, how he's growing. Um, wh- what do you see out of him next year? Well, I think Voorhees is a potential starter. Um, obviously, you have to see. You haven't seen him on an NFL field. But he does have left and right versatility. I think Cleveland at this point might be right side only. Um, so I would be – to kind of put my entire offensive line plan to lay it out together, um, Stanley on a pay cut, first round left tackle who can maybe cr- uh, play a little guard if you need him to first year, like a Jonathan Ogden, mm-hmm. uh, Linderbaum on the right side. You have Zeitler, and if not Zeitler, then Cleveland I think is could probably be serviceable, and then you have Moses and Falele. I think that's a good group. Uh, probably equally as strong as this year's line and also has a little bit better succession planning. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm for that. And I'm, I'm using number 30 on a left tackle. I'm keeping Stanley. Uh, I don't, I don't think they'll get away with the pay cut. So I'm not planning to even have that. I'm starting Voris at left guard, or I'm putting him at the top of the competition at left guard. Let's put it that way. I'm bringing back Simpson if I can on something close to the vet minimum. And when I say that, I'm okay with two years, four and a half million. I'm not okay with two years of 10 million. No way in hell. So um, at at center, I want to keep Mustafa around if I can. But unfortunately, they've let him age a little bit on the practice squad here, and I he, he may have a market elsewhere. But honestly, if it's between Simpson or Mustafer for a backup offensive lineman, when you get a center with Mustafer, uh, I'm not I'm not even sure who who I really want more. Uh, the Ravens made their made their kind of their call pretty uh, clearly by keeping Mustafer on the practice squad all year. But but he's I think he's actually kind of an important player because I don't want McCarry playing center. I want him as a pure left tackle backup. I believe Mustafer was activated to the active roster full time once Linderbaum had that high ankle sprain. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I think if you can get him for that minimum, yes. If you can't, no. I mean, it's pretty pretty straightforward for Mustafer. Ideally, Linderbaum's playing 17, 20 games. You know, that's why you draft the first round center to play the full season. So. You know. All right, and I'm I'm with uh, I'm with Cleveland at right guard. I don't really have. Uh, a problem doing it. I would like to have additional an additional guard backup, and I think they'll draft a guard. Um, I think this is a year where they draft two offensive linemen, a, a, a left tackle, a left tackle, not a swing man, not a not a might be a left tackle, might be a right tackle. We'll see if he has the feet. None of this stuff. They need left tackle traits. They need yes. you know. I I, I, I want to see that out of this pick anyway. And there's a lot of guys, by the way, who play left tackle in college who do not have left tackle traits. You know, mm-hmm. and, and they end up. You know, Eichelberg from a few years ago at Miami is is a guy who ended up at center. The who's the other guy from BYU who ended up at center this the last couple of years? Christensen, uh, right? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So, Brady Christensen. So, yeah. So, so they've had a you know a variety of guys. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? 
outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Our, our left tackles in college because Marshall Yanda was that at Iowa. Um, and, and they already know they're not going to end up there. We're, let's not fool ourselves. Ryan Jensen um, and, and, and get a guy who, who is a, maybe if we roll, you know, double sixes, this guy is a, is a, uh, 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 is a guy who might work out at left tackle. Um, anyway, they, they, they need to get left tackle traits out of the guy they're getting. Yeah. One of the, most rare skill sets in the sport. Just yeah. having somebody with that size and the power and the mobility uh, at the same time is so that's that's why they go early and that's why they're worth investing in. Yeah. So and and this is a year. If you've got a two year plan for Stanley, I'm okay taking a developmental guy pretty high. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Colaccio Semele was a second round pick, fine left tackle. You know, mm-hmm. no, no issue with that. If it's that kind of an developmental pick, absolutely no, should be no issue at all. But uh, uh, anyway, I, I guess that's enough. And a good, a, I think a good recap of the offensive line there, Voss, in terms of what you want to see. And and uh, I'm not far off on that. Yeah, that's that's, that's really priority one. The Costa said it, Harbaugh said it. It has been a tenant of Harbaugh era, and it's a brilliant. I've said it before. You want to give me three position groups, win as many games as possible. You can have three that are above average. Give me a quarterback, offensive line, and secondary. And I think you can win yep. a lot of games like that. Yeah, you're cheating and taking two position groups in the secondary to get five players, but I agree. <laughs> completely go with that. What do you want to talk about next? So let's just stick on the offensive side. And I kind of grouped weaponry together, so to okay. speak. Running back, um, going to have some attrition there. You have Dobbins, Gus are both UFAs. You have Keith Mitchell, probably won't be ready till midseason. And Justice Hill's the only one returning. Um, all of a sudden, there's this uh, impetus. The Ravens need to get a three-down back 
what I've seen on Twitter a lot. I, I personally couldn't disagree more. I think that's one of the lowest priorities on the totem pole on the list. It's just you're better off with the committee to divert to, to spread out injury risk for for multiple reasons. But um, I do think you need to probably add one back in the middle rounds of the draft, ideally, unless you could bring Gus back uh, on a on a modest deal. Yeah, I I think that's what it would be. Gus had a really successful season despite the um, much lower yards per carry. Okay, so I, I I but I don't think that that's a um, something the Ravens can necessarily count on. They they have a um, you know they have a they have a player who I think is a good short yardage back. Um, they have Mitchell who hopefully will be you know a guy who helps them by midseason. The injury to Mitchell is just the most frustrating. Oh negative thing because he's such a great young player had the highest ever dvoa for any running back with 40 plus carries it was that good a season it was a historic season in terms of what he did um he, he played six games where he had a carry he had at least a 21 yard carry in every game he never had nine more than nine carries in a game i just this really limited set of unbelievably great play and to have that snatched away of you, it's it's up there with the Lardarius Webb injury as as you know one of the really debilitating career injuries. Maybe the Ronnie Stanley injury, even yeah. in terms of what it might do to his career. Well, you know, I hope it's recovery, speedy recovery. You you go back and think, what could five touches, Keaton Mitchell touches have have could they have made a difference in the AFC Championship game? Yeah, uh, it's tough. You know, it's tough, but you know, you probably can find a Derrick Henry or somebody like that for a pretty cheap price. Cause just running, it's just no money out there for running backs anymore, mm-hmm. but I, I still, and it's going to look like a value, but I still don't think it is. Long-term. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to pay three and a half or 4 million, even for Derrick Henry himself, if you were available, I wouldn't want to. Um, so I I'm, I'm looking out there to the bargain bin where the Ravens proved again this last year, they could find incredible mercurial value in terms of Keaton Mitchell. He was a priority UDFA. I thought he should have been drafted, but if he mm-hmm. was going to be drafted, he was going to be, you know, a, a five or a six probably. Um, or And, and the Ravens, you know, they, they basically gutted it out and, and said, I don't think he's going to be drafted. And when the guy who had not that much difference other than context of play at the college level was Devon Achan, and he had the greatest Devoa season ever for a running back with 100 plus carries. So it, when I look at those two, and and I, I think literally what's happened in Miami and, and and the Keaton Mitchell situation is going to change the game. I think that that the mm-hmm. the impetus to go find speed uh, probably impetus is always great at wide receiver, but I think it's going to really increase at running back as opposed to other factors. And people are going to be willing to accept small school backs. They're going to take flyers on speed in late rounds. And, you know, the Ravens won't have the sort of pool of talent at the UDFA ranks and, and except smaller backs a lot of times, which is really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. And I think this isn't a perfect comparison, but Isaiah Pacheco, seventh round pick of KC the previous year, came in, beat out Edward Solaire. Um, He's not a pure speed back, but I think there's there's some similarities there in his playing style. So you ask the question oftentimes, Ken, if you're going to pay your quarterback and you're going to pay your middle linebacker, where are you going to save? There's no better place in all the sports, in my opinion, than running back. We've seen yeah. it time and time and time again. Number one rushing offense in the league with two UDFAs and a third rounder, essentially, with Gusson and Keaton and Justice. So 
I think they're going to be able to piece that together. Pretty much any running back in a Lamar Jackson backfield is going to be pretty effective and efficient. The other big thing, obviously tight end, probably the strongest position group on the team entering the offseason. Wide receiver losing or uh, potentially losing uh, Odell Beckham, Nelson Aguilar, and Devin DuVernay. I don't think Tylen Wallace is a wide receiver three a caliber player at this point. I think you need to add add there. He's a UFA too, isn't he, Wallace? Or is he? You know, he's, he's year one three. More. In year three, one you're more. right. So, yeah. and he's and he's a draft pick. So they they actually have him signed for this year. It's not a it's not an RFA Correct. situation. All right. Well, that's I, I I agree with you. I think that Duvernay has probably played his last snap in Baltimore, even though he's had a great career. We're going to talk about that on the wide receiver positional review. But but he's had a great career in Baltimore as a punt returner in particular. He's he's been at a historic level. Um, in in terms of the um, running back situation completely agree that I, I I would not spend any more money at the position. I would be very hesitant even to spend a, a, a I, I'd almost say no to a day two pick. I think whatever that whatever they spend really has to be a day three pick plus UDFAs. Um, they may have a better handle on how much the pool will be depleted, but you just think it's a, it's a lot of injury risk at running back. Um, you don't really want a guy you're depending on to to carry sixty or fifty percent of your workload, even. And um, you know when when it happens, and then you see injuries to to players like Chubb or Mixon, um, you know it, it debilitates their team. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And Justice Hill played forty seven percent, I believe it was forty seven percent of offensive snaps this last year, and he has signed and he had his moments, and he's he. He's not unblemished player, but uh, but he is a quality player. I think he was, as Eric DeCosta said, one of the unsung heroes on the team last year. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Tight end, I'm not. I'm. I would not see any additional investment. Um, it's what what they might do is find a UDFA. Travis Vokalek was kind of the perfect guy to to have around just in case something happened. Unfortunately, obviously, he got poached. Um, and uh, and that was that. At, at wide receiver, it's going to be interesting, but I actually think Nelson Aguilar should probably be a guy they try and re-sign. Uh, remarkable season this year, by the way, and, and it kind of went unnoticed, but uh, Lamar Jackson's passer rating was 122.3 throwing to him. Uh, he did a great job of finding space late on play, so he's a great extended play um, weapon for, for Lamar. Mm-hmm. We saw that any number of times. Uh, I really love some of the heady play. His talking to Lamar in the huddle and saying, I can take that safety out and clear the play for Zay Flowers for the go-ahead touchdown against the Rams. And the Rams eventually tied it, and then the Ravens won it overtime. Um, that That's just one of the plays of 2023. And I, I, I was an Aguilar detractor because he'd had two terrible years at New England before he came here. Didn't like giving up a sixth-round pick plus $3.25 million. He completely earned his contract. Yeah, I agree. He was a pleasant surprise. I think you want to maintain some semblance of a veteran presence in that room, assuming that Beckham is going to depart. Spielberger says $10 million for Beckham. I think that's probably too high based off his last season, even though it's, you know, a third, 30%, 33% less than he made. I think you want to keep tapping into that wide receiver pipeline in the draft. You know, take a wide receiver mm-hmm. in the draft if you can, especially if you get an extra pick for Matabike in the top 100 pretty much every year. That's where you want to be with, with Bateman if you're not picking up his fifth-year option. Uh, and then Aguilar is getting a little bit older, so you're flowers, and you, and you want to maybe have that, sec- that that other rookie wide receiver who's going to develop into a wide receiver two in time for 2025. Yeah, I I, I, I could see that. So you're, you're, 
you'd be using a second or third round pick at wide receiver then probably that's where you would yeah. advocate i think exactly. i think i think that fits the needs of the team and and the other place which we can talk about next is is at corner um mm-hmm. where i think that group is very old right now uh it got a lot older unfortunately by the fact that their young corners played like crap this year jad was you know hurt and off the field pepe hurt again uh couldn't get his way onto the field for a defensive snap um, and then you had Ronald Darby, who comes in and plays extremely well. Um, and and you, you, all of a sudden, your cornerback room just got your, your effective quality of play in your cornerback room got a lot older. Yes. Obviously, not Marlon Humphrey's best year. Uh, but battling injuries also had a couple, you know, that George Pickens touchdown. Um, Brandon Stevens, breakout year, but did fade down the stretch. He really did. Those last three or four games, he was picked on. And uh, so anyway, as those as your boundary perimeter cornerbacks starting, that's great. Um, Kyle Hamilton as your essentially your starting nickel is great. Uh, but you need depth, at least a Darby caliber, hopefully, um, perimeter cornerback, CB3. And you still and you also need a safety. You know, I think people would like to double count Kyle Hamilton no. uh, as uh, <laughs> as he's playing two as he's playing two positions at once. Let's let's be clear here. There's five defensive backs are starters. So you can't have four and, and say you're, you're, you're set there. So, yeah. I, and I, I would, I would start with, I, we don't even know who Trenton Simpson is at this point. I would love to believe he's Patrick queen. Everybody wants to believe he's Patrick queen. I, you know, if he were a three down player, it would be good. It would also not be terrible if the Ravens realized very quickly that they needed a dime back and Simpson is really a two down player or that he has a specialized role where he only is going to play on some third downs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it would reduce injury risk if that were the case. And so you, you, you'd, you'd be prepared with a dime back. But I think the Ravens really need five safeties and not four. I'm a big mm-hmm. proponent of bringing back Daryl Worley. I'd love to bring back Geno Stone if the price were right. I don't think it will be. Um, but the, the, um, uh, the, the way this Ravens team succeeded out of a too high shell pretty much all year uh, tells me if you want to try and replicate that success, you're going to need to get better at safety. Uh, or are going to need to try and be as good as you were at safety. And there is one big name out there that'd be really interesting, and that's Chuck Clark, who is currently mm-hmm. unsigned, but I think would fill a really good back end. He could do two things for you. He could he can be a back end half field guy. You don't want him, you don't want him single high, but back back sure. end half field guy. And he can also be a die back, just as he, you know, made his mark really in 2019. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I Definitely agree with your point, bringing back Daryl Worley. I thought he played very well uh, as a high safety. Geno Stone, according to Spielberger, um, a two-year contract for $13 million, so six and a half. Ooh. That's, you know, I think that's a little – it's rich for – even though technically he's a starter, I think if he was a better run defender in addition to the ball hawking, I'd be more on board. But uh, that's high. I think uh, – in a perfect world, you bring back Worley. You maybe look at Smith as well. You draft a safety in somewhere in the middle rounds, and you. I'd like to get a corner on day two, a corner that can pay play on the boundary. Um, you can never have enough corners. You don't know what the cornerback room is going to look like two years from now with Stevens entering his final year and Humphrey potentially declining a little bit, and and might uh you know potentially could be a cap casualty down the road. It's I I think all excellent points. I would go corner day two if they if they have their guy. And again, you want to be as flexible as possible because some talent's just going to fall in your lap at some point. 
relative to your board, and you want to be able to take it. And that might sure. mean a running back gets drafted too early. It might mean a cornerback gets drafted too late. I did feel in this last draft, they really chased the value of corners all the way down until they ended up with Caillou Blue Kelly, and they cut him. And yeah. I, it just they did not have a good handle on what the CB market was or they just weren't able to, to get used to it. But they, you know, to DeCosta's credit, he completely filled that room effectively. And and to McDonald's credit, he used some lesser players, frankly, um, and minimized their weaknesses by having that great safety uh, group. For sure. I, I, I would add one thing about the safety group. I, I think that's a place where the Ravens have consistently proven they can get value with lesser picks and UDFAs and also cast-offs from other teams. A player like Adams this year is a guy who's played free safety his whole career. He'd be fine in a split field role uh, as of right now if he's working with the team from the beginning and really understands the system. He's not going to take a long time to do it. You have other guys who are UDFAs. You know, Lucian was used learning the position this year. He might be a guy the Ravens bring back um, uh, on a futures deal, and and you know, he's again competing in camp for a spot. Um, yeah, but the Ravens are so good at finding guys late and their history of finding dime backs and second safeties in the sixth round, uh, seventh round and UDFA ranks is so good. I don't even think you really need to go too high. And the free safety skill set, while there is an elite group that you really got to pay with a first round pick and they, and they got some of that with, with Hamilton, you know, in terms of those instincts, um, you can also get it really cheap. If you've got a player who's physically limited, like Geno Stone uh, in, in round seven. Yeah, I agree. I think they're, I'm not concerned about how the safeties, the Ravens have proven time again, that they know how to properly draft and develop and restock that position. Where are you on Arthur Mollette and Ronald Darby, the chances of bringing them back to unrestricted free agents? I would love for Darby to be back under some way. I I don't know currently what his situation with the team, how far apart they are in terms of numbers or expectations or whatever, but his season was so good. um, I think they've got to consider it at, at least uh, Rocky Yassin won't be back. I, I don't think. I don't think he he's got anything left in the no. tank at this point. But we'll, we'll we'll see. Physical cornerback. Somebody else may want him. But the the Ravens. Uh, I, I think actually might have fit the Ravens scheme pretty well this year. But he never got on the field because Darby was just a lot better. Uh, right. It's it, it was surprising that that Darby played as well. And, and I I just don't have a sense. What, what's the OTC valuation on him, by the way? Uh, have that one in front of me. Uh, but I'll, I'll go look it up. Just, give me your give thoughts, me and I'll go. I'll go look it up. I like I like the idea of bringing Darby back if you can get him for, you know, a, a little bit a little bit more than the you know a, a relatively bargain type of contract like a Rakusine contract that he had last year. I think Rock got three and a half. You can get Darby for somewhere between two and four. I'd be on board with that. Um, yeah. Okay, so you, that's an AAV on a two-year deal, maybe? Or are you trying to get him for a one-year deal with some void years? I pro- I'd probably do one year just because he's had that injury history. I don't I don't want to get caught holding the bag on the cornerback. And let's see here, two million OTC valued him at two million last year. Yep, that's uh, that's an extreme undervaluing. He's fifth in the entire league in yards per target of guys who had three hundred or more coverage snaps. I I, I the, he, he was outstanding within the Ravens yeah. system. Mallette, much more of an average NFL guy, fits the Ravens, you know, persona in some ways. But I don't want to. I, I honestly, if anything, I want Hamilton playing more snaps at nickel, more non-traditional snaps in that slot role 
than what he has already. So I, I kind of see wh- whoever they get for a quote unquote slot corner role is kind of a backup position. So if you're, you know, from this, from one sense, Mollet is perfect if he's a vet min guy again. Uh, provides you roster fungibility at the end, and that that could be valuable. In another sense, he's an older guy, um, and you, you, if you want a truly different skill set from Hamilton, you might want a faster, twitchier, younger guy. Um, Pepe didn't so far has not cut it. Um, he'll, no. he'll he'll be a crossroads. But Ardarius Washington, you know, might be the guy who can play that position when they don't want Hamilton there in situations where they don't want Hamilton there. I agree. That's exactly. I, I would have Hamilton or Darius Washington, and maybe a late round or UDFA rookie fighting in the mix in training camp. That's probably the perfect situation for the nickel. And you do something to bolster the back end. You give yourself some more depth on the perimeter, um, and and maybe a succession plan there. Um, that's pretty much what I had as, as far as the uh, the secondary. Uh, you want to talk about Patrick Queen? Uh, we can expected to make. 18 million a year um, over four years, according Terrific. to Spielberg. I hope he gets every dollar of that. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and I, you know, I guess probably I hope it's for, with an NFC team too, uh, just to, just to lower the risk of, of what could happen. Yeah. He's, he, he certainly made a lot of progress and I don't even want to get into the, the minutia of when he made this progress relative to Roquan, but I'll just say it was an enormous overdraft for him at number 28 overall uh, with the pain and suffering the Ravens had to take in his first two years. He uh, it, it definitely it was not a good thing for the team. And uh, he uh, uh, you know, became a better coverage player. He's a terrific coverage player this year. His responsibility set is a little bit less than Roquan's, who takes a lot deeper drops, a lot higher A dots on the targets he faces. With, um, with Queen, he's mostly a downhill player, and he became very good at that this year. And, and I think, you know, we ought to celebrate that that happened. He did a lot of good things as a pass rusher during his entire career, including s- some unselfish things like setting picks that he's very good at. But, but, mm-hmm. but on the, on the whole, I think we have to, we have to say goodbye to Patrick Queen, probably the, the high, the lowest likelihood of returning of any of the Ravens free agents. Uh, completely agree there. It seems that the, uh, even the most uh, anti-positional value folks among the flock have come to that conclusion. And I wouldn't be surprised if he goes with maybe with McDonald to Seattle or maybe the Nor Wilson or Anthony Weaver or somebody that kind of wants him. And I think he did kind of become a, a culture, a locker room leader too. Um, so I just want to circle back on the pass rush. I know we touched on Matabike. I think we're both think that 23 is a little bit too rich. I would be in the market for a three tech relatively early in the draft. If Matabike is not signed to help form a new foundation along with Travis Jones, um, edge rusher, I actually am probably in the minority, but I'd like to bring back Jadavian Clowney, uh, Spielberger, uh, projects for nine million one year for nine million which is probably a little bit more than most want to pay but his metrics were very impressive and although he didn't necessarily have the counting stats he really showed up playing 70 percent of the stats i believe in both playoff games um and could really help make up for the loss of matabike as a down lineman if you then have Clowney with OA taking a step and Ojaba returning, you can probably uh, recreate the same uh, pass rush. 
Yeah, he, he led the team with 57% of snaps played during the regular season. By comparison, Owe, who missed time, obviously played 37, and Van Noy played 42, even though he didn't show up until week four. So Clowney definitely the 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 leader in terms of of being on the field for the Ravens and being, you know, meeting that availability concern. Um, you know, the guy who we haven't talked about here is Tyus Bowser. Any chance he returns? No, I would take that five and a half million and put it towards Clowney. Okay. You, you, it, I don't know how you leave that five and a half on the table after you set out an entire year when you were expected to be back at, for training camp at some point, and then month after month goes by. I don't know how you can depend on somebody like that at this point. Yeah, obviously extremely disappointing season, a lost year for Tyus Bowser. Um, you know, I, I think it honestly is a, a wish him his best in future endeavors. It's too, it really sucks because he was one of my favorite players. As a Raven, I think when, when we're talking, when we're doing this off-season thing, that's just going to be the the main historical thing I do this year will be once there was a player, and I want to think about second-tier players for the Ravens who you really like. Tyus Bowser would probably be mine in terms of a, a, a guy who just brought so much flexibility to to your pass rush by being able to drop to cover and be very effective there and as a pass rusher. And I, I just yeah, it's it's a. Uh, um, it's a really sad day, but there, I, I'm, I would agree with you. I think basically bridges have been burned there. Um, I, I guess we didn't really talk about this, but are bridges also burned with J.K. Dobbins at this point? I think so. I mean, the Ravens are probably going to offer him a vet men deal, and somebody else is probably going to offer him a vet men deal, and he's going to say, "I, you know, the, the horseshoe turned upside down for me in Baltimore, so uh, let me try my, let me plan my try somewhere else at this point." And now. Urban just signed by the Chargers as their offensive coordinator. Wait. Okay. Yeah, Greg Roman. Sorry, Greg Roman. Greg Roman. Roman or whatever he's. Yeah, Greg Roman. James so Urban I, was the quarterback. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Well, it's, I, 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 Urban and Roman. For some reason, I get those names mixed up a lot. But anyway, Greg Roman, you know, signed again as a. I would have to think organizational knowledge from Ortiz. I would think there's a pretty good chance he ends up there. But we'll yeah. we'll see if if uh, you know you're talking about a a guy who they're going to want to try and get in on a on a cheap deal, but they're also going to try and sell them on the on the situation in the backfield. Uh, I think the the only downside to him going to a place like L.A. is that Austin Eckler um, uh, don't know actually what it know his situation is for this coming year is is a guy who right now is is one of their central pieces in their in their puzzle. Well, I think Eckler's probably on the outs because he had a down year and he was trying to get more money. I think that wasn't he on the uh, was he on call. the tag last year? The tag, remember he was and the, yeah the, he was the organizer of the call I believe. And then some of the other guys like Barkley still had a pretty good year. Um, He's a UFA. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, I would, but but they have a lot of cap cap issues to work through. So if I'm them, I'm moving on from Eckler. And if I'm Ortiz, I'm moving on from Eckler and trying to get Dobbins cheap and uh, and make it work that way. That'd yeah. be it. If you're rooting for if you're rooting for them, so a couple other players. I think both of the special teams uh, linebackers who also have a rotational role could be or should be brought back. Malik Harrison, I think, can be part of the solution as a rundown Sam and also core special teamer, and Delshawn Phillips as well. If you're losing Queen. Um, you have Simpson, and maybe he gives you a little bit extra insurance while also being another core special teamer. Yeah, I could completely agree. I mean, with if depending on how it would play out, if they had to, if they lose either of their inside linebackers, first of all, if they lose Rokon, obviously it's very serious. 
Um, but if they lose Simpson, it's also serious because they've got to figure out how to replace him on multiple downs if that's how they're using him. And having Malik Harrison or Phillips be a two-down guy and then also having a dime is probably how they would go to replace that. Um, I, I would be very happy with that. I'd be very happy. In fact, I think it might be even more likely if um, if they lost Roquan that you might see Malik try and step in for two downs at Mike and then have one of these switching roles, which I'm not really crazy about, but you but you switch your will linebacker to be the Mike on passing downs and also bring in a dime for the extra thing. I'm not really crazy about doing that, particularly to a young player like Simpson, but it might be what they do. I agree. I agree. I, I think maybe Delshawn Phillips is is the backup Mike. I think he didn't he start the game at Mike in week 17. I believe he did, and, and Queen was Will, even Queen though Will, Will yeah. was out. I'm yep. pretty sure. Yeah. And then when he got hurt in the second half. He looked half. really good. He looked really good. Phillips looked really good in preseason, and, you know, uh, so maybe he's a diamond in the rough kind of guy. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a highlight reel guy in training camp last year. He's just making a play every mm-hmm. single day, it seemed like, uh, there. So it was great to – uh, great for that. But anyway, I'm, I'm all for that. And I'm all for the Ravens continuing their culture of kind of rolling two-year deals at a small bonus to the vet minimum for these guys they really like in their system. And I don't think there's a big market out there for Phillips or Harrison. Uh, there might be other competing offers where somebody's willing to pay the same amount. But, you know, they already know what they have in Baltimore. I think they'd, they'd prefer to stay here, be my guess. Sure, sure. So that's pretty much how I see the off-season's personnel part. Obviously, there's a coaching piece to this that I think we touched on pretty well last episode. But uh, just to you know, summarize what I where my head is after about ten days of thinking about it, I'd bring back Zeitler, Zeitler bring back Clowney, tag and trade Matabike, and draft priorities left tackle, wide receiver, three tech, and cornerback. Okay, completely agree on that. Uh, you know, another defensive lineman, even even to get younger is important. I do think at the three tech that if they tag and trade Matabike, that we're going to see a breakout year from Travis Jones as mm-hmm. a three tech. I think he they basically might even draft a another nose, stay large there, and and get by with three techs with um, with Williams and um, and Jones there. I think I, I think that actually could be very good for the Ravens, but they do sure. need to get younger on the defensive line still. Even though they might have all five defensive linemen return if Matabike is not um, uh, uh, traded or or yeah, isn't basically if he's not traded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So going to be interesting. A lot a lot of moving pieces, a lot of moving parts, but uh, Eric DaCosta did such a great job of building last year's roster. I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt this year for sure. And we did talk a lot about the coaching stuff. There's still some open positions on the coaching staff now. Some more have developed, I believe, since last week. Please take a listen to that episode. Give a download to it. Uh, It's last week's Friday morning GM. Um, The one thing I'll say is if you're one of the guys who says, don't, don't, I don't give a crap about the cap, just sign X, you know, just, just make it happen. Um, there's a much more reasonable point of view when it comes to position coaches. Position coaches are pure gold. They are not related to the cap. And the Ravens got incredible value out of those guys this year with coaches like Wilson and Weaver and um, Chuck Smith as being a pass rush specialist. I mean, so much value that they got out of those guys. I would love to see them continue to hire another crop of them, even, you know, and in this case, I'm just spending some of Steve Bashotti's money for him. <laughs> That's right. And apparently, uh, 
Chuck Smith will return next year, which is which is great. Great I, news. I believe that was confirmed by Zarebek. So yes, one of the one of the best position coach uh, hires they've made in a long time. Right, Voss, always a complete pleasure doing this. We're going to be moving to a a um, less frequent schedule, so we will be having Friday morning GM when it is hot, but we're taking a break of a week coming up this next one. So, so while you look for it, it won't be around. But Voss and I are still planning to do this show and looking forward to doing it with you next year, my friend. This has been a one of the really pleasant experiences of content creation has been working with you on this. Likewise. I really enjoy this every single week. Look forward to it, Ken. Thanks for uh, – Thanks for having me on the uh, on the network here. Uh, you, anyone can follow me on Twitter x at Vasilis Beatdown V A S I L I S, and I am a editor author at Baltimore Beatdown uh, blog. So, uh, Ken, really was a pleasure, and uh, look forward to continue to continue this through the off season, getting the draft season, all that fun stuff. So, uh, definitely enjoy lots the Super of, Bowl. <laughs> That's like a little <laughs> knifey dig in the side for me, but you enjoy oh, no, the I didn't mean it too, Dan. I, I, I didn't mean it that way. Are you, who are you? Who, out of curiosity, you any rooting interest? I can't. I can't bring myself to root for the Chiefs, but I really don't care enough. I, 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 I'm, I, I'm petulantly jealous of the 49ers because I think the 49ers got a much better draw on the officials. And again, I don't think we don't need to go into this because it's just it's it's a case where I don't think there's anything openly malicious by the officials. I think there's something by the league that they need right. a better process for selecting officials for big games like this. And the fact that the 49ers got the most pro home official of all in Cleet Blakeman and, and yeah. the Ravens got Sean Smith just a a slap in the face so uh, anyway yeah. I, i'm just being petulant it's not really the 49ers fault that they got the better draw so I, I'm, I'm clearly i'm gonna be rooting for them over my house so i'll take the i'll take the other side of the coin i'll take rooting for kc a uh it's better to lose to the team that was winning you could say oh, we were second best secondly i want to ensure that the costa keeps the bullseye on kc because i think that's where it should be but third i think they also have some incentives i think chris jones has a roster incentive to win the Super oh, that'd be and nice. some other things so there's there's some maybe some way that you can uh hinder their personnel moving forward if they do win it so yeah that, that that's thinking like a gm there is trying to figure out how can you <laughs> how can your afc opponent get screwed on their own salary cap by you know it's it's it, ravens fans should be voting every other team's players into the pro bowl yes by, by <laughs> <laughs> all right uh Voss, thanks so much uh, other folks out there if you'd like to be on a film study short this offseason the new series i just mentioned it is once there was a player Get your picks in quickly. And it, this is, I, I want second tier players. I don't want to do Terrell Suggs, Ed Reed, Ray Lewis. Don't do that. We, we're, we're looking for who did you really like as a player? And you thought they brought more to the Ravens than other people really give them credit for. So I mentioned Tyus Bowser might be my guy. Think along those lines. Who, who's, who's your second tier player you'd like? Uh, DMs are always open. Send me who you want. Reserve your player, and I'll get back to you very quickly, and we'll, we'll try and work out a time. Going to be recording these pretty much all off-season, so this will be some of the content on a weekly basis is, uh, in the historical off-season run I usually do. Voss, I'm looking forward to a player from you, too. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks, that, for well, having me, thanks again for coming on. <laughs> for Voss Larico, for co-host Voss Larico, this is Ken McCusick saying goodbye. We'll talk to you in two weeks on Friday Morning GM.
American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.